Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. the Radiant Podcast, and today we have my new friend, Leanna Tankersley, joining us. We're here to talk about her new book, Begin Again, The Brave Practice of Releasing Hurt and Receiving Rest. And guys, we got real deep, and it is a real good conversation. So I am so excited for you to meet Leanna, to get to know her, and let's dive in. Hey, Leanna. Hi, Kelsey. I am so excited to have you on today. I have been eagerly awaiting our conversation, and I really, you know, we got to chat a little bit before this, and I really think we are cut from the same cloth, so I would love for you to start by sharing your story, who you are, kind of your heart, your message you bring to this world, and everything you do. I love it. Thank you, first of all. Thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation as well. And okay, my journey, I'm originally from San Diego, California, and I was born and raised in Southern California, which I now live in Central Virginia. And I realized that being raised in Southern California, there's just a, it's an interesting cultural thing because there's just a lot of different voices, different walks of life, different backgrounds, all coming together to create a really unique fabric in um, Southern California. And so I was kind of raised in the midst of that raised in the church. And then I went to the East Coast for college. And I went to college on a volleyball scholarship. So I played competitive volleyball, which it's so funny, you know, that that in so many ways, that feels like such a long time ago, 20 plus years ago of my story. But anyone out there that has been involved in something where they were really competitive and played at a certain level or competed at a certain level, and was with teammates a lot of their formative years, I think they will understand that it 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 stays with you, that idea of being on a team and being a leader and being a competitor. And so I, I don't know, I think there's times even now, like even as a parent or something where I'll, I'll realize, oh, that's funny. That goes back to like my, my sports days. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think that's still somehow I, I, some, every once in a while, I'll just realize like, that's still in me. That's still part that, that 18 year old hyper competitive, volleyball player um, who loved being on a bus with a bunch of girls traveling around the country. That's, that's still, that girl is still in me. And that's fun when she kind of comes out and that, that competitive side of me comes out. And I majored in English in college. And I've just always, I was raised by my mom who was a, uh, my, actually my junior English teacher, my 11th grade English teacher. And um, she was an English teacher for a few decades. And so I was raised by a woman who loved stories and loved books and just um, had words in front of us all the time. And so it was just a very natural to me when I went to college to uh, major in English and, um, and I was at a Christian college. And, and, and so I would say my faith at this point was what felt like very, very solid to me, but I, I had certainly, I was still certainly very much in a bubble. I, w- I had been in a Christian bubble for a lot of, of those years, but literature to me was always a transcendent story that hooked me into, I think, um, just the larger narrative that is God, that is new creation, that is grace, that is failure, that is our humanity. And so I always, 
always have loved stories because I think part of it is it's hooked me into the larger story of God, less about Christian culture, Christian subculture, mega church culture, those kinds of things. It was transcendent. Does that make sense? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I've always been drawn to like, what's the larger story of God? What's the larger story of our humanity? What is this, this through line in scripture that's like, takes us from exile to grace? And, and what is that about? And so I, I think so much of the classic literature that I've loved helped me understand some of these larger stories that had always been a part of my life. And so I majored in English and just thought for sure I would be an English teacher like my mom. And so I went on to graduate school at West Virginia University and did my uh, master's degree in English there. And again, just thought I'm going to be a teacher. And right out of graduate school, I got an opportunity to go uh, work for a well-known pastor and write for him. So I, <laughs> I always say... I got thrown in the deep end of writing because I was writing for someone else. And I had to turn out a lot of writing on his behalf across a million different forms and genres and on deadline. And if you're out there and you're thinking about becoming a writer, I can tell you this was like, this was the best school I ever went to. Yeah. Let me tell you, like you have, you know, two days to write radio copy, a letter, an intro to a book, and to create this, um, these 10 devotionals. And, and you have two days to do it, and you need to do it in this voice, and it needs to sound like this. And so I had to just write uh, my head off for those few years. And it was at the end of that time, I, I worked there for three years, that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I just had this kind of nudge really deep inside of me to return to this part of me that had always loved writing. I was, I had written since I was a child, honestly. You can go back and look at my journals and look at, you know, find random scraps of paper from my childhood with strange poems on them about horses and, you know, weird stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was kind of a, I think I was kind of a quirky kid. I got to the end of that job and I just had this stirring of, man, I love writing, but I wonder, I just wonder if I have my own writing in me. You know, like I've loved writing for this other person. I've learned the craft. I've learned how to turn out work on a deadline. And I'm just curious if I have my own writing with my own, like, what is my voice? Um, and so I, I it was right at that time also um, that I met my husband, my then husband. Uh, we met and got married in 2003. And we met in 2002, got married in 2003. And he was an active duty Navy SEAL. And so um, right as I am kind of returning to this part of me that's wondering, I wonder if I have some writing inside of me and my own voice. I'm also getting married to this, this man who it has this kind of elite unique career. And so right as we get married, um, he has taken orders to go to the Middle East. And so eight days after we get married, he scoops me up, we get on a plane and we move to Bahrain, which is- Oh my gosh. Yes. yes. Um, and I write about this in my very first book called Found Art. And um, we go to the Middle East for the first year of our marriage. It was kind of like a one-year honeymoon. And he worked- nuts, crazy hours. Like the war was going during this time, the war in Iraq. And um, so we lived in this, this, this pin dot island in the Persian Gulf, right off the coast of Saudi Arabia, Muslim country, tiny little island. And that was my first year of marriage was learning how to be a, a Navy SEAL wife, learning how to be a wife, and then also being 
you know, on another planet away from my family and my friends and what I knew. And what the invitation was for me during this time, Kelsey, was it's interesting how all of this collided is that I did not work full time during that year because we were just gone for a year. We were coming right back to San Diego. And I had this pocket of time where I was in this foreign culture, foreign to me, and I was newly married and I was, you know, 27 years old. And I had had this inkling um, sort of tiptoeing into my own voice. And I feel like it was truly a sacred invitation during this year of the floodgates just opened. And it was like my senses were heightened. And maybe you have some listeners or maybe you have been through a season like this where it's like everything is alive and you're awake and you're taking it all in. And I wrote for that year. I just wrote for a year straight and just, I had the time and the space. I was alone a lot actually during that year, which was new for me. And so I was a lot quieter and I was, our, our flat looked out on the Persian Gulf and it was just like nothing. I, you know, I was going, I went to a grand mosque and, and walked around in a mosque and it was like, oh my gosh. Um, and for the first time in my life, really, truly, truly, I was very much a minority. And I think that was a unique experience as well. Like, what is, what is it like to find your way in a place that is not necessarily invested in making a way for you? So that was just an incredibly unique experience. And tell me if I'm taking too long. <laughs> no, I love hearing it all. I'm going to have a thousand questions. So uh, we came back to the States after that one year. We came back to San Diego. And... Um, but right before we left Bahrain, a life-changing thing happened to me. And I had this just notebooks and files on my computer of original writing, specifically from my life that I had been reflecting on while we were there that year. And then that specifically that year um, of just taking in new sights and sounds and being a new wife and all of that. I had all this stuff and I thought, oh, guy, what am I going to do with this? You know, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what I'm going to do when we go back to San Diego. I don't have a job. So I'm going to tell you this story and it's going to sound kind of crazy, but um, it was just a few weeks before we were supposed to return back to San Diego and I was sitting on the floor of our flat and I lit a candle and I opened my journal. And sometimes when I pray, I pray through my journal and writing and I was just kind of, you know, sometimes we pray a little more when we feel a little more desperate <laughs> and or we feel a little like, I don't know what my next step of my life is going to be. And I, I just didn't know where I was headed next in terms of professionally. And so I was just saying that, God, you know, I, I've got all this material. I feel this real compulsion to write, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do next. And I felt like, and I have the journal still where I felt like God audibly said to me, Zondervan, Zondervan, which is a, pu a publisher. Yeah. So I thought, and I was kind of annoyed, you know, like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're going to have to be clear. Zondervan is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I don't know if you heard God, but we're going to order to go back to San Diego. You know, like we're not going to Michigan. What I'm not, what am I supposed to do? I can't go work at Zondervan. And I got up, I kind of closed my notebook and I have the notebook still where that word is written. And I got up and I was like, I I'm annoyed. I don't know what I'm supposed to, this is nothing is any clearer. And I went to go wash dishes and I felt like it was like a drum beat in my ear. Zondervan, Zondervan. But okay, all right, fine. Just to, you know, appease you, I'm going to go look at the Zondervan website and go see what kind of employment they have available. So I go to the Zondervan website and immediately this page uh, flashes up. It's like, a you know, one of those pop-ups. And it says, um, we are looking for a new generation of writers for a new generation of readers. And they were hosting a faith-based manuscript length writing contest. 
And this is my story of actually getting into writing. I am now working on my sixth book, you know, over a dozen years later, 15 years later. But this is how I crossed the threshold into writing was God opened this door for me to submit all of these random scratches that I had done over this year. And I, in like three weeks, I mean, Kelsey, it was, it was funny. It was actually very funny. Like I whipped this thing into a manuscript and sent it in. And I ended up getting second place in the contest. And you know how on American Idol, they say sometimes second is better than first. <laughs> getting second is better yeah, than getting Because you have less of um, less obligations than the winner has. Totally. And the first place winner, they slapped a cover on it and published it. But I ended up with a relationship with an editor that I am still, that editor is now my agent 15 years later. And I, um, I started with her all those years ago and, and it got me. I think into a longer into the industry longer and and she helped develop me instead of just sort of like putting a cover and sending it out there. And so long story short, through that uh, whole experience my first book was published and it wasn't published though until 5 years later because in the middle of that I had we came back to the states. I worked for a couple of years while I was while she was working with me on trying to get this manuscript together and then I got pregnant with twins. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So I am trying to get this book done and I find out I'm pregnant with twins and I can just say that life has been full of some really grand, large experiences. And so I had the twins, I had boy, girl twins, Luke and Lane. They were born in 2008 and then my first book was published in 2009 and I've been a working writer and a mom since then. I've been, I published, like I said, my fifth book just came out um, in August and I'm working on my under contract and working on my sixth book right now. And I, um, we since added um, a third baby to that roster. My, my youngest, um, her name is Elle. And we ended up in 2011 returning to the Middle East for two years, um, again, with my husband's job. And Elle, my youngest, was born there. She was born in 2012 in the Middle East. And that was its own insane experience. And um, we were there for two more years, same area in Bahrain. And then we came back to San Diego again and was, like I said, raising babies and working as a writer. And I think this is where I want to interject that... um, you know, a lot of people tell women specifically that you kind of have to choose. And you, if you want to, if you want to work and mother, you know, you kind of can't do everything all at once. And I just would say to the woman who is struggling with that, that I think you can do a lot of things at the same time. You just have to have a lot of patience and you have to be willing for things to unfold slowly. You know, my writing career has not skyrocketed overnight. Nothing, nothing has happened quickly. But I've been able to raise three babies and write five books at the same time. And it's happened over a long period of time. But I just want to say that briefly, just to encourage the women, the woman who's out there who thinks, you know, I have these dreams and I don't want them to come in conflict with each other. And I just want to say they don't have to. Um, and then in 2017, my two years ago, my husband had been gone for a year on deployment and he came home from deployment and went through some difficult things while he was gone. He went through some difficult things. And in 2017, he sat me down and told me he was pursuing a divorce. We had been married 14 years at that time and had these three babies. And so the last two years of my life um, since then have been about recovering beginning again. And I already had a book that I had the manuscript done for when done already, when he sat me down and the book was called begin again. (laughs) 
And uh, we can, we'll obviously talk more about that. But um, a long time ago, I found this beautiful phrase from the monk St. Benedict, always we begin again. And I wanted to write a book about it. And I, I had no idea of knowing how much I would need that concept and that phrase over these last two years, despite my attempts to try to um, change his mind. Steve was resolute. And um, so we are rebuilding our lives and, and trying to carry our kids through this. And I subsequently moved to the East Coast with the kids and I'm closer to my family now. And I'm just continuing to hang on to this concept that, you know, there's just, there's always grace available and there's always a hand reaching toward us. And um, there's always an opportunity to begin again. And so that's the work I'm doing in my life to, to date. I just, I told you before we got on the call that I just moved and uh, moved from one side of the city to the other. And so we are kind of putting some roots down and um, this is really a season of beginning again and leaning on my faith and leaning on grace. So I hope I didn't take too long. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions. Leanna, first, (laughs) thank you for your transparency and vulnerability. I have 72 questions coming your way. Uh, But wow, first, thank you so much for your transparency because I think for anyone to speak into A, the topic of begin again, and B, the devotional side of this to stepping into the next moment, I, I think your voice is coming from a place of not just, um, you know, writing about it, but living it and experiencing it and having true empathy for your reader um, because you really had to navigate this yourself. So thank you. You know, first, you know, when you realize, oh my God, I I wrote this book for me. What was that like? You know, I felt like right after all this happened. So I have a book called Begin Again, which is a regular book, trade book. And then on the heels of that, my publisher said, why don't you do a devotional that, that brings some of these same concepts to light, but in short readings. So then I have the devotional that just came out called Always We Begin Again. And that is these 100 short daily readings with re- reflections. And I feel like when, and I just got the chills, honestly, I just got the chills, at, you know, not that long after Steve sat me down and said, this is what's going to happen. I just felt like God said to me. I've given you, I've already given you everything you need to go through this. You just need to read your own words. No one wants to go through this. No one. It is heart-wrenching and horrible and so difficult. But when you see that you've been specifically prepared to walk through it, it gets you out of bed every morning. It's truly, truly unbelievable. And I feel like also God was telling me, honestly, Kelsey, because and I and you'll have listeners that understand this, like you feel disqualified. You just feel like I've, I failed and, I've, and, I, and I'm sidelined for the rest of my life. And it was like, God's also saying to me, no, nope, you are, your voice is only going to clarify. It's only going to be used to more to reach into the, the broken and hurting places in people's lives. And it's, it's so humbling because you just feel like, oh God, I thought I was done for, you know? Totally. I mean, yeah. So I, I would say in my experience, um, not navigating the same things, but deeply painful situations in life, this yeah. year has really taught me, like, if you knew what was coming, you would probably like put your arms out, brace yourself, like have so much dread and stress. And I know I've dreaded scary things or painful things happening. But every time I've come up against major, major obstacles, hurdles, I've always 
looked around and realized, oh my God, God's been preparing me for this. And it sounds like you navigated that exact sentiment, sentiment, you know, in your own experience being met with, you know, this sad decision that was made for you, not even by you. And it is just really interesting. I think for, for people who live in fear or dread of something bad happening, no matter what kind of hard, bad thing it could be. Um, it's always a good reminder. And I think history with God is, you know, hindsight's 2020. And so when you build that history of him taking care of you, you realize, oh, for the next hard thing, no matter what it is, the thing that you would dread or equate as like, oh, I don't ever want that to happen. It it makes you realize like God is always taking care of me in every single moment. He's always prepared me when that next thing is coming down the pipe. Because no one, we can't, none of us can live a a life immune from pain. Um, It's just a different brand of pain for each of us. And so So I have at the beginning of one of the books, I have this poem and I want to just interject this because it speaks to exactly what you're talking about. And I found this poem in the middle of like a couple years ago. And it was like, oh, that's really beautiful. You know, you like, you read something and you're like, oh, that's a great concept. And then you go through it and you're like, that's life changing. And it was basically, it was, well, I won't re- I won't recite the whole thing, but it's basically the idea is we'll know we've been raised from the dead when every wall becomes a door. And the poem goes on to talk about all the various walls that we might crash into in life. And you're exactly right. They look different for each of us, but it's the same feeling of like, it's over for me, or I don't know how I will ever recover from this, or how has this happened? And at the end of the poem, it talks when we can see those walls as doors and, and for so long in our lives, we just walk up to them and we say, oh, it's a wall. And we turn around and walk away. And at some point, God will give us the eyes and the grace to see it as a door and we'll step through the threshold. And the poem talks about that that is the doorway into eternity, that we, we gain such transcendent healing awakening, truth, grace, we gain things on the other side of that, that we would have never received or been aware of had we not gone through it. But I'll tell you, none of us want to go through it. You know, but I I ask myself that like even daily, sometimes how is this wall a door? What is God inviting me into that's beyond just this dead end? And I think it's true. I think it's true. It, it is so hard. Because again, if we knew everything We would ever go through that's painful or hard or what, you know, our black and white mind would think is good or bad. You know, the hard things in life, we would brace ourselves. But sometimes those hard things propel us into more joy and more fullness than we could ever imagine. And so this year has taught me a lot about how I've spent so much of my life self-protecting from pain and like really just bracing myself. Like if I'm an Enneagram 7 and I know like my listeners yep. are like, dear God, if I hear about the Enneagram another time. But, <laughs> you know, for me, if I had like an illustration of my life, that would be my hands out, like bracing myself for pain. Like I just don't want to experience nope. it. I want to live in bliss. And this year, you know, and, and again, my listeners have also heard me talk about this a thousand times, but had leveled me in April. Mm. And so I had to really start facing identity stuff. Um, do I trust God to take care of me? Um, I really had to wade into the deep end of really facing everything I dreaded, you know, and it was really hard. But yeah. I say the other side is better. Not yeah. that God puts us in painful situations to just teach us, but he can make anything good. 
Yeah, we just realized that um, we're held through it, that we're not abandoned. And I think that's a lesson that every one of us as humans, we need to learn somehow. Like we need to learn that the the horrible thing is likely going to happen at some point. And God's not necessarily going to stop it. Sometimes maybe he does. You know, I don't know that I totally understand the theology around all of that. Why do something, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do they not always happen? You know, yeah, I think what I've realized is that bad things happen. They really do. And like you said, sometimes you do not have a choice. Sometimes you do, but sometimes you don't. And what I've learned is that I'm held. God has held me. He has um, provided for me in the most unexpected ways, financially, relationally, emotionally, these last two years. And it's still not perfect. My life is, I'm telling you, I'm still reporting live from the messy middle here. Okay. It's not like, oh, I've got a bow put on it and we're smooth sailing. No. But what I can tell you is even in the midst of all of that, I just have this greater sense than ever in my life that God is holding my story. He's holding my children. Let me tell you what it's like you know, people can relate to this where it's like, it's not just you going through it. You have to watch these three precious people that you love so much go through the, the hardest thing. And you would, you would do anything to save them from it, you know, and you realize God, if God's holding me, he's got to be holding them too. So you learn, you learn that there's something larger holding all of us than our own strategies for avoiding pain, but it's, it's hard. You're listening to the Converge Podcast Network, and now a message from a network supporter. This podcast is sponsored by Denison Ministries. Denison Ministries is a movement creating 7 million culture-changing Christians who are committed to carrying out the truths of the gospel to their sphere of influence through a variety of ways, which is why Denison Ministries is excited about sponsoring what God is up to on the Radiant Podcast. One of the cool ways Denison Ministries helps Christians feel closer to God is through their First 15 devotional. First 15 is designed to help you spend the first 15 minutes of your day experiencing God through meaningful full devotional, scripture, worship, and prayer. Grow closer to God this new year. You can sign up to get the first 15 email devotional sent directly to your inbox at first15.org slash subscribe, or start your day off with the first 15 devotional podcast anywhere you listen. So what did, you know, I'm sure there was a moment at first or at some point in the journey where you did feel abandoned, not necessarily by your husband, but by God, was there yeah. ever that moment or like, and how did you shift from like abandonment to like, no, that's actually not true. He's taking care of me because I think that's, that's a feeling a lot of people will relate to in pain. I think there's kind of two camps. Um, even my husband and I often illustrate this. Like, I don't ever feel like God's at fault. I'm like, people suck, you know? And then he could, or, or maybe, maybe David wouldn't illustrate this, but friends of mine would. Friends would be more likely to be mad at God than people. So I think we've got two types of listeners. And one type of listener is probably more prone to feeling abandonment than the other. How did yeah. you navigate that? Did that feeling ever sink in? It's so good. And I think some of that is based on our personality or our Enneagram number or something. Yeah. How we externalize blame. I think I think it is like, you know, and some people anger is their their immediate blush. And some people it's like, well, anger is not really productive. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Totally. I think that's how you're wired. But I'll just 
I'll see if this answers the question. I was, I, so Steve sat me down and said, this is what's happening. And he said, I already have a counseling appointment set up for us in a week or so. And I knew the counselor that he had set us up with and I trusted this counselor. And so I, so I set to work after my immediate, I mean, I fell apart for 24 hours and I was distraught and terrified for my children. I went through the divorce of my own parents when I was nine years old and my twins were nine when this was happening. And so I was very triggered. It intersected with my own family of origin story, if that makes sense. And so it was like my skin was on fire. And then all of a sudden, and this is probably part of my personality, it clicked to me. We have this counseling session in a couple of days. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to put all my energy and in, in my my crazy brain into coming up with the perfect strategy in that counseling session for changing Steve's mind. And if I can just sit down and I can figure out the right argument, then I will um, I'll change his mind and I can do it. And um, we got into that counseling session and, and I launched into my extremely well-practiced and well-conceived strategy on why this was the worst idea, why we, why this is not good for anybody involved and why actually, we're actually not going to do this. This is not what's going to happen. You know, this tells you a little bit about my personality. What I realized very quickly after that is that Steve had not, he had not booked this appointment so that the counselor could help us stay married. He had booked this appointment so the counselor could help us get divorced. And I realized like, this is so much farther beyond anything I can control. And I was distraught all over again. And I went to my car after the appointment and I just sat there and I sobbed. And I was so, I was like, okay, God, what's our next strategy? What's our, like, you're going to, what's the next plan? Like, I need a plan. I can't freefall, you know? And I think that's as close to abandon as I have felt like you want me to trust. <laughs> so, and I, and what God said to me in that moment, Kelsey, as clear as day is it, I said, you know, okay, what's our next plan? What's our next plan? God, what are we going to do next? And this is what he said to me, Leanna, you have to let him go. You have to let him go. You do not have control over another human being. You don't. And I think that that's where I started to learn and it's been a journey. I mean, I feel like I have a doctorate in, in surrender. That was the beginning yeah. of understanding what surrender is. And if you realize how necessary surrender is in our faith in general, and you start learning about it and what it looks like, and, and you're in a situation where you don't really have any other options, then you realize like there must be something that's, I, I'm not meant to carry this. God's going to carry it somehow. And that helps, that helped me somehow feel less alone, not more alone. You know, I felt like actually I'm surrendering and the word, the etymology of the word surrender, because I look this up, it doesn't just mean to give up, which we think about, oh, you just drop it on the ground and walk away like resignation, but it also means to give back. And so the invitation for me in that time was every time I wanted to hatch a plan and change the circumstances was to give back, get to pick up my child to pick up my future, to pick up Steve, to pick up my finances and hand them to God, hand them to God. And, and, you know, we'll do that in the morning with our coffee at 6am. And by noon, we got our hands back all over, totally. which is why this phrase of always we begin again is on every post-it that I own all over my whole house. Cause it's just this reminder of like, you've got to hand him back and give it back. If the minute I take it into my hands, it's in the wrong place. I don't have anything help. If I had a helpful strategy at this point, I would have employed it and it would have worked. 
You know what I'm saying? And I feel like there's probably someone out there that just needs to hear that. That's just sitting down thinking, why can't I figure out how to fix this? And there are things in this world we can't fix. Totally. And it doesn't mean God's left us. It also, it may mean that he's closer than ever. And he's saying, you've got to get your hands off this and let it go. Cause I, then I can put something else in your hands, something new in your hands. Man. You can preach. That is good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank make, you for sharing. Oh, yeah. I mean, that speaks to me in this year. You know, this this year career-wise was a big act of surrender. It's been deeply, deeply painful and scary and hard. But slowly, six months in to like big, big pivots, I'm like, oh, I, I like who I am more than I've liked who I am in a long time. And I'm learning to like really trust God. Whereas like if the problem would have just been fixed three months in, I think it would have been a quick fix. I don't think I would be cultivating what's being cultivated in my heart right now. Like it's, it's been a painfully slow year. Um, but I think what's being cultivated in, in my heart is something I would never take back, you know, and if it meant the pain would cultivate this, okay, like it wasn't fun. I would never want to go back to reliving April, but you know, yeah, here I am right. and I'm starting to really settle into a new way of being that I don't think would be possible without that. And so I wanted to fix it. I wanted to pivot. I wanted to have answers right then and there. And I didn't. And I think learning how to wait and to trust God has been something I will, ne- a lesson that will serve me the rest of my life. It will. And you are building a muscle that now you have that maybe a year ago was flaccid. You know, you didn't have it. Totally. And- um, and and now you have this muscle that you can realize, you know what, I can slow down, I can open my hands, and the world is not going to come to a crashing halt. I don't have to be ahead of every strategy and every bit of information out there on the internet. You know, I can open my hands and let this be, I mean, wow, kind of a sacred spiritual experience. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's what this year has been for me. And so, um, again, like that hasn't come without its wrestling, but it's been A bit sacred. And so, man, okay. So I love kind of, and it's so fitting, obviously, given um, your journey thus far, but stepping into the next moment, I love the the tagline of your devotional of always we begin again, stepping into the next moment. So what has that looked like for you in this season? And kind of what are you seeing for your readers as they kind of embrace that message? Oh yeah, I love that. Well, it's born out of this idea of beginning again, right? That in order to begin again, we want to jump to step 600 and we want to be experts and we want to have it all, all packaged up and ready to go. And often a lot of life is learning to be a beginner and learning to tolerate being a beginner, which is what you're talking about in your own journey. And like, you'd rather be an expert, obviously. It's yeah. comfortable. It looks better. It, it, it looks better on Instagram, right? But sometimes the spiritual work is in our beginning steps. And, and often we're going to get to step 600 by stepping into the next new moment. And what I find for a lot of us is we get stuck. We get we get so super stuck. And we have some choices when we're stuck. And, and I mean stuck like you could be stuck in your relationship with your body. You could be stuck in your marriage. You could be stuck professionally. You could be stuck in a relationship with one of your kids that is just not going well. There's a thousand different ways to look and feel stuck. 
And I did some research on this, I, on this word begin, like begin again, what does the word begin mean? And I think this is really beautiful and, and it'll relate to even your own journey, I think, Kelsey, but the etymology of the word begin is it, it's, it means to open. And so, uh, which is, isn't that interesting? Like in order to begin, in order to step into that next new moment, when we're stuck, we have to open. Now, a lot of us going back to this idea of like, we want, we have our hands on this thing. We have our hands clutching onto our professional life, our platform, our child, our marriage, our, whatever it is, our finances, we are clutched onto it. And, um, the invitation is to open up, to open or to open up, which is to begin. And when we will do that, that is how we're going to get where we're standing into the next new moment. But often, and this is the part that royally sucks, God is going to ask us to open up in the exact place where we would like to be shut. <laughs> like, yep. touch that. Do not put your hand on that. Do not ask me to let go of that. That is sacred. That is hands off God. You know, this is the thing that I've got under control. We really don't, but we think we do. And so a lot of my readers, I think, are stuck in one area or another in their lives. And they're, they're taking in a lot of information because we can all find information out there anywhere we go. And they realize information is no longer serving them. And we have to actually do the spiritual work, the sacred work of opening our hands, opening our hearts, opening our minds, opening our souls so that we can step into that next new moment. And I want to normalize in my own work the fact that everything's going to be a lot slower than we want it to be, that everything's going to require a lot more trust than we want it to. Let's get comfortable with that. <laughs> yeah. So how do we get comfortable with that? I think it's what you were talking about earlier, that you have experienced gifts in the waiting that you would have not received had you forced yourself into the next new moment. And I think your work, Kelsey, will probably end up being more authentic to you and more sustainable now that you have done that hard work than had you gone online or gone to a conference and gotten like six slick strategies for changing my work. And it's going to wear out in three months. It just would. You know, you might get a great big burst of fire at the beginning and, okay, now I understand how I'm supposed to pivot. And now I understand what this is supposed to, okay, now I know I'm going to rebrand or whatever it is. And um, it's going to, it'll wear out. It'll wear out because it's not from your soul. This work, this slow soul work, it comes from the deepest waters in us and it's authentic. It's what the world is hungry for and it will last. And I believe that. And I'm getting the chills right now as I say it. And so I know it's, it's an invitation for me too to wade into those deep waters and let the work come out of that true place inside of us. And that's how we, once you start to see the fruit of that, you realize, oh, that's interesting. There is something to, you know, opening my hands up to God, surrendering to him and let allowing him to lead and guide me. Oh, isn't that funny? There is something to that. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's hard work, but it is worthy, worthwhile work. Yes, it is. And, and let me just tell you really briefly, practically what that has looked like for me in the last two years, because it's easy to talk about these things in concepts what I want to um, make sure that everyone understands is like, this is not just like an idea. This is actually a practice, like a practical practice. So in the morning, most mornings, now I'm the kind of person where I never tell people, and as an Enneagram seven, you'll appreciate this. I never say to people, 
Now, every single day you have to do this because my mental health does not support me doing basically anything every single day. You know, like I, I can't, I can't be that disciplined, but most mornings I get up early before my kids and I have the coffee going and I light a candle and I just set my phone alarm for, you know, five minutes, eight minutes, 10 minutes, not a lot. We're not talking about like a silent weekend retreat to the Alps. You know, we're talking about just little bits of time. And I open up my journal and I say, God, what do you want to say to me today? What do you want to say to me today? And I listen. I actually shut up for five seconds and I listen. And I've developed this practice over the last couple of years. And this is how we slow down and we're led into these sacred waters by something other than ourselves and our own great ideas. Man, I mean, I've learned so much from this conversation. Uh, I think it's very timely for me. And I think it's just been an important piece of embracing kind of where I'm at. I think, like I said, none of us are immune to pain, no matter where you're at as a listener. You might not, you might be in a mountaintop season. And for that, we celebrate you. I look forward to my next mountaintop season. But I do want to do the work of learning from these harder seasons that, that like you said, are an invitation um, to kind of doing that deeper soul work. And so I can't wait to dig into um, your devotional. Where can everyone find you? Where can people snag a copy of Begin Again and Always We Begin Again? Because I think both are an invitation to our listeners to really start diving into that side of, of their soul work. And I, I mean, I think it was just a really timely conversation for me. So tell us all the places we can find more of your work. I love that. So uh, my website is lianatankersley.com. You can find me there. You can find me on Instagram is kind of where I'm most active on social media. And that's LM Tankersley. And, um, and then my books are available wherever books are sold. So obviously Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Christian retailers. Yeah. Any of your local bookstores can also order it if they don't have it in stock and begin again is me telling the longer story of what it's looked like in my life to begin again through chapters. And then always we begin again, as we talked about is a hundred short readings. You can read them in like I don't know, 15 seconds, and then a reflection prompt at the end of each one. And that could be where you guys all start your practice of saying, okay, I'm going to commit to doing this and to really um, digging into this soul work, as you said, which I love that term. I I will be doing, I will be digging in. And so if anyone wants to read alongside me, uh, just let me know. But Leanna, it has been such a joy to get to chat today. I, you know, had a thousand questions from the first part of your story, but then we went in this direction. I think this is the exact conversation we needed to have today. And so thank you for joining me. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. It was a joy to get to talk with you. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network. 
Want to know the best way to give a last-minute gift without stressing about shipping, wrapping, or getting just the right thing? Gift a tree. With one tree planted, you can give a donation to plant one, ten, or hundreds of trees on behalf of someone you love. This is a seriously sustainable gift that will last a lifetime. And the best part? You'll get one free tree and an awesome e-card to send as a gift. Visit OneTreePlanted.org and enter code HOLIDAYS at checkout for your free tree. Then sit back and relax. We'll do all the planting. Save your most important documents and photos in the cloud. A Microsoft 365 subscription gives you a full terabyte of secure OneDrive storage, plus an added layer of protection with OneDrive Personal Vault. Buy now at Microsoft365.com slash photos.